15 week, um, someone allows, allowed for Gabe and I to go to Northern California to a camp called JH Ranch. And I, I really, I can't even put it into words what with my son is, um, I had to completely depend on him. And it was like he was the dad and I was the son and he was just like, <laughs> he couldn't believe how scared I was. Um, but you know, we, I went with this expectation that um, it would fix my son. Not that, not that Gabe needs a lot of fixing, but you know how it is when you're parenting, especially a teenager and things like that. It's like, all right, come on, God, would you fix him? And he fixed me. And I, I just, I saw so many things in, my, in, in, in me as a father that needed fixing. And uh, he's a good God. Patton's, are you here this morning? I know they were here in the first service, but um, boy, they mean so much to our church. And Fred lost his dad this week. And here it is, Father's Day today. And just talking to Fred um, and Steph today, Steph was just telling me, what a man of God he was. And so, and I just think of all the things that the Patents are doing for the kingdom of heaven with, for the orphan and how they're calling our church to, to be about the orphan. And then God just took a pillar out of their life. Um, I think of the Tages family today as well. And there's many of you in that same boat where Father's Day is kind of a happy day, but it's also a day when we miss or sometimes it's even regret over the dad we always wish we had who we never really had. And, uh, but still, God is in it. And uh, I think even from our text today, got a lot to cover, so let's dive into it. Hopefully, um, it'll even speak to this. But we're going back to Genesis 28, looking at the life of Jacob. And if you remember last time, which was a long time ago, was, I think we're talking not just weeks, but maybe months, uh, looking at Jacob, Jacob is the kind of guy at this point in the story who just has to win. He will win at all costs. He will find a way to win. I don't care if he has to trick, deceive, dress up. He's going to win. That's why he wins the birthright. And he wins the blessing. Question, did he really win? Okay, um, our text today is Genesis 28, starting at verse 10. We stand for God's word, you sit for mine, so let's stand. Jacob left Beersheba and set out for Haran. When he reached a certain place, he stopped for the night because the sun had set. And taking one of the stones there, he put it under his head and he lay down to sleep. He had a dream in which he saw a stairway resting on the earth with its reaching to the heaven. And the angels of God were ascending and descending on it. And there above it, or I have a footnote, or there beside him stood the Lord. And he said, I am the Lord. I am the God of your father, Abraham, and the God of Isaac. Actually, your great-grandfather, your grandpa, Abraham, your father, Isaac. And I will give you, your descendants the land on which you are lying. And your descendants will be like the dust of the earth. And you will spread out. In fact, that word in Hebrew is the word parets. It's a kingdom of heaven word. It's all over the Old Testament. It's this explosive, explosive force. 
And your descendants will explode. They'll be this explosive force to the north, the south, the east, and the west. All the peoples on the earth will be blessed through you and your offspring. I am with you. I watch over you wherever you go. I will bring you back. The word there is shuv, from teshuvah, from which we get restore or repent. <laughs> I will restore you. And when Jacob awoke from his sleep, he thought, surely the Lord is in this place and I was not aware of it. How often is that the case when we're in these places and we're not even aware of the Lord's presence? He was afraid and he said, how awesome, how awesome is this place. This is none other than the house of God. This is the gate of heaven. So early the next morning, Jacob took the stone he had placed under his head. He set it up as a pillar. He poured oil on top of it. And he called that place Bethel, which means house of God, though the city used to be called Luz. And then Jacob made a vow, saying, If God would be with me and will watch over me on this journey I am taking, if he will give me food, this stone that I have set up as a pillar will be God's house. It will be Bethel. And all that you give me, I'll give you a tenth. This is God's word. You can be seated. All right, I said before that Jacob and Esau are a little bit like Cain and Abel. And this is Cain and Abel all over again because you have a brother hating a brother, a brother wanting to kill his brother. He's been tricked and... As a result, he wants to, Esau wants to kill Jacob. And so verse 10, even though Jacob wins the birthright and then the blessing, he leaves home. This is Lech Lecha. This is him leaving everything. He leaves mom. He leaves dad. He leaves family. He leaves comfort. He leaves life as he knew it. He he leaves this comfortable, well-established life in the land of promise only to find himself in this place of chaos and confusion as an exile. In fact, just reading the text, the fact that he uses a stone. <laughs> Who would use a stone for a pillow? He doesn't have anything. He doesn't have a backpack. He doesn't have a little knapsack that he can kind of just ball up and put his head on. In fact, later in his life, when he's reflecting on this, he's going to say, I left with only my staff. And I love the imagery of the text because in verse 11, it says the sun had set. And this is more than just a literal statement. It's night. This is what's going on in Jacob's life. The son has life. He has absolutely nothing. He's lost everything. It's night. It's dark. He's blind. Can't see. And he's all alone. He's without a home. He's homeless. No mom, no dad, no brother, no community, no friends to comfort him. In fact, something also tells me that in this place where he's all alone, in the stillness, in the quiet, 
You know those times when your mind starts working a thousand miles an hour? No TV to, or computer or way to distract himself, just alone with his thoughts. I, I think he's haunted. I think he's incredibly haunted at who he is, haunted at the person he's become, haunted by the fact of what he's done to his brother, haunted by the way in which he's disappointed his da dad, and I think even haunted at how he's just made a complete mess of his life. You ever been haunted before? You ever think those kind of thoughts? Because you know what I find to be so cool? It's in this place, this place, that Jacob finds God. Better yet, this is how I picture it. God is waiting for Jacob in this place. Just waiting for him. In fact, there's a few things in verse 11 that I feel like we, we, we need to know that kind of just uh, make this, this thing flower a little bit more. Um, in verse 11, when it says he reached a certain place. Okay, a certain place is not just any old random place. In Hebrew, it's the word ha-mahom. Ha-mahom means the place. This is the place of all places. And so at this point in the biblical story, now you need to be asking yourself, now what would be the place? Ha-mahom. What would be considered the place of all places? Now, the text lets, lets us know that Jacob is completely oblivious to the fact that he is resting in Hamahom. But listen to what he's going to say hours later. How awesome is Hamahom? In fact, he's going to call Hamahom house of God, gateway to heaven. Another thing I want you to see in verse 11. When it says that Jacob reached the place, he didn't just reach it. The Hebrew word there is veyetza. Veyetza means to encounter or to collide. It's often used to describe battles, two armies. They don't just reach each other, they encounter each other, they collide with each other. Because that's what's going to go on now in, in Jacob's life. There is going to be this encounter, this collision of such great force. And he's never going to be the same. So now look at verse 12. Takes the only thing he has for a pill. He puts his head on this stone. Somehow the guy falls asleep. And he dreams. I picture this to be one of those dreams. I don't know if you've had those dreams before where it's like the dream is so real where it almost feels more real than, than reality itself. And he's having one of these dreams. And in this dream, he dreams of a stairway. And I love the NIV because it gets it right here. Some of your texts call it a ladder. This is not a ladder. I want you to think ramp with massive steps. This 
huge staircase. And here's the thing. It's not this ramp with steps that are going up, 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 but rather its base is in the heavens. Its head is in the heavens, so it's steps that are coming down, 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 down. And see, what Jacob is dreaming of here is heaven. And heaven, he's not going up to it. Heaven is literally coming down to him right where he is. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when, when you think of heaven. And I think we often have just these vague, just weak ideas of what heaven is. And I don't have time right now to spell out heaven. Um, but I can at least say this about heaven. Heaven is everything your heart right now longs for. You long for heaven. You long for it. And see, the ancients, I think, understood something that we moderns have, have quickly forgotten, and it's this. This world, this world isn't heaven. Nor can we ever make this world heaven. Because, see, they understood that heaven is something that we've been cut off from. Or to put it in the language of Genesis 3, we've been kicked out of it. This world is not heaven. It's not home. Okay, and because of this, the ancients believed that the deepest longing of the human heart was somehow we got to get back in. We need to find our way back home. I don't know if this is something you ever think about, but I'll tell you what. There is a modern who expressed this very well, C.S. Lewis. He says this in The Weight of Glory. He says, the inconsolable secret in every one of us, it's a secret that hurts so much. The ache we feel is nothing more than our longing to be reunited with something in the universe we all now feel cut off. It's the longing to be on the inside of some door, which we've always seen from the outside. He says this longing is no mere neurotic fantasy, but it's the truest index of our human condition, the sense that in this universe we are estranged and that we need to bridge some chasm that yawns between us and that reality. He says this is our inconsolable secret, the door on which we've been knocking all our lives that it will open at last. So that ache that you feel right now, and there's an ache. It's not for more stuff. It's not for more money. It's not for more friends. It's not for more pleasure. It's not for greater achievements. It's not for recognition. It's not for the latest toy or the latest gadget. Lewis is right. The ache that we feel in our heart is for heaven. It's for God. It's for his presence. That is the inconsolable longing of every soul. It's to get back in, to get back to God. And see, many of us, I think, live our lives, our whole lives, either denying this ache, or we strive, and boy, can we do a good job of this, living in a place where we have everything. We stuff the ache. We stuff it with anything and everything this world has to offer. 
But here's the bottom line. I don't care who you are. I don't care what you have right now. There is nothing in this world that will ever, ever satisfy the ache of your heart. Your heart aches for God. For heaven. Home. And so the ancients are just like, okay, where's the door? Where's the gate? Where's the stairs? Where's this, this axis mundi, this point that connects heaven and earth? Where, where is it? I mean, again, I mean, leave it to C.S. Lewis in the Chronicles of Narnia. Does he come up with a powerful picture of this? The wardrobe? There's the door. I found it. Into Narnia. Now, in this world, this door or the wardrobe or the axis mundi, it could be anything from a high place that reached the heavens. It could take, be a temple on a high hill or even a towering tree on a high hill. Um, but mainly, it was a ziggurat. And sorry, I had all kinds of great uh, pictures of that, but I forgot to bring them, of, of ziggurats. These things are all over the, the Middle East, where the biblical story comes out. And they're basically these man-made superstructures that have these huge ramps with steps that keep going up and up and up and up to the heavens. Now, where do we first read of these super man-made superstructures? Babel! What are they doing? They're trying to reach God. They're trying to build steps to get back in. You know what Babel means? This guy's right. Babel, Babel in the Bible. The Hebrews put a spin on it to make it mean confusion or chaos. But its literal meaning means gateway to the God or gateway to heaven. And look at Jacob's dream. He dreams of a staircase. And on this staircase are the angels of God. Now, I don't know what comes to your mind when you think of angels, but I got to tell you right now, we are inundated today with, 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 this, with, with angels. I mean, Hollywood's always depicting angels. And I mean, you'll see the scene where the guy encounters an angel and he doesn't even know it. And then afterward, he's kind of scratching his head. And wait a second, was that an angel or was that a person? I mean, in the Bible, what does the angel say every time he encounters someone? Fear not. Why? <laughs> because that person is petrified in the presence of something awesome. And angels are awesome creatures, millions upon millions, billions of them, who just give unadulterated praise to our holy God and who God sends out into all the earth to do his bidding and his will. And now look at how they go. They ascend and descend, meaning the starting point for the angels is where? Earth. More specifically, who? Jacob. 
And see, what this brings to mind is Psalm 91, where God says, I have given command of my angels over you, and they will watch over you in all your ways. In fact, right now, I think if our eyes could be open to spiritual realities, if we could see, we'd be blown away at the presence of angels in this place right now. I mean, I love that story in Elisha. He's with his servant. They're in Dothan. And this huge army from Aram comes and surrounds the city. His servant looks out and is just like, oh no, oh no. And Elisha's just sitting there. And then Elisha makes this comment. What's with us is greater than what's with them. And you know what Elisha then does? He prays. And he says, God, open the eyes of my servant so that he can see what's really real. And his eyes are open, and he looks out, and he sees the angels, the chariots of the Lord surrounding the hills. I know where you are right now, but God commands his angels over you to watch over all your ways. Let's not get too enamored with angels. Because look at what it says next. In verse 13, there above it, the ladder, stood the Lord. <laughs> Jacob saw the Lord. And as great as angels are, even angels in the presence of the Lord have to do what? Cover their faces and their eyes. He's too beautiful, too holy to behold, even for angels. But here's what I have to ask when I read this. What do you mean Jacob saw the Lord? How can he see the Lord and still live? I mean, that's what... Moses says to God, God, okay, you've given me your name. You've revealed your will. You've given us your commandments. You've showed us so much. Oh, I want more. Show me your face. God says, you look at me, and it's like looking at a, a nuclear explosion. It'll kill you, Moses. Who's he looking at? The light of the knowledge of the glory of God is in the face of who? Christ. Christ is all over this book. Now, I love this. I already highlighted this because most of your texts read in verse 13, there above it, meaning there above the staircase, stood the Lord. Some of your translations read there above him, right there beside Jacob, stood the Lord. And I studied this for a long time, and I, I looked at a lot of different opinions on this, and the Hebrew scholars that I trust the most all translate it, standing right over Jacob. And so, not only in this dream does Jacob see this, this massive staircase with angels filling it on both sides, but he actually sees the Lord descending that staircase and and coming to him and standing right over him, 
Maybe the way a father would stand right over their sleeping child. I mean, this is an encounter. And here's the deal. I don't think Jacob at this point knows God. Because when you look at the chapter in chapter 27, when he's describing God to his dad, he says, the Lord, your God. But by the end of this chapter, he's going to say, the Lord, my God. See, because up until this point, Jacob probably knows all the stories about God, the stories about God appearing to his grandpa Abraham, his father Isaac, the blessing, God bending the knee to them, his promises to them. Jacob knows about him. Jacob doesn't know him. Do you? Do you know him? Or do you just know about him? I watched grown men last week get up in front of everybody and tell people, I spent my whole life in church. I knew all about him. I could tell you every Bible story. This week I encountered him. There was collision. Now I know him. Have you encountered him? Has your life collided with him? Has he collided with you? And see, here for the first time, the Lord introduces himself to Jacob. Look at these words in verse 13. Jacob, I am Yahweh. I am the God of your grandpa Abraham. I'm that God. I'm the God of your father Isaac. I'm that God. They know me. Now it's time you get to know me. And see, for the first time, Jacob doesn't just know about God, but he is personally aware of God's presence in life. You know what I love about this? Here God gives to Jacob in this first encounter everything that Jacob's aching heart aches for. He gives him the blessing. I mean, Jacob has done everything to get this blessing from his father. He's dressed up. He's, he's manipulated. He's deceived. He's done all these things, tricks and everything, trying so hard to get it. Now he gets it from his heavenly father. I mean, look at what, what, what God promises him. He promises the same thing that he promised to Abraham and Isaac. I'm going to give you land, the land you're lying. I'm going to give you descendants. And not only are you going to have descendants, but... The thing that I'm going to do for your descendants and in your descendants is going to be so massive that it's going to go north, south, east, and west. Every family on earth will be impacted. And so here's Jacob, this little wandering lamb, all alone and lost in the dark. And God comes to him, not as an angry judge, Jacob, you blew it. How dare you do all this? But he comes to him as, as a shepherd, as a good shepherd. In fact, he essentially, in these verses, speaks the 23rd Psalm to Jacob. I mean, look at what God says to Jacob in verse 15. Jacob, even though you're all alone, 
Fear no evil, Jacob, for I am with you. And Jacob, though your life right now is so vulnerable and fragile right now, more than you even know, Jacob, I'm watching over you. I'm going to protect you wherever you are. And Jacob, even though you've lost everything and your life is completely falling apart, right? I'm going to shove. I'm going to bring you back. I'm going to restore you. I'm going to restore your soul. In fact, you know the first person in the Bible to say, the Lord is my shepherd? It's Jacob. Genesis 49. And see, this is everything that Jacob's aching heart aches for, for, for God, for God's presence, for God to bless him. And for the first time, I think, in his life, this ache is being satisfied because heaven is coming down and glory is filling his soul. In fact, look at Jacob's response in verse 17. This is all this guy can say. Surely God is in this place. How awesome is this place? This place is the house of God, Bethel, the gate of heaven. I have found it. Home. Home. Home away from home. Isn't this what you desperately want this morning? Don't we all want to know that God is with us? And God is standing right over us the way a father would stand over a sleeping child, that he's watching over us, that he's caring for us, that he's blessing us, that the Lord of the universe is bending the knee to us. I mean, I think Moses says it, says it best in Exodus 33, verse 15. When Moses says, if your presence does not go with us, do not send me from this place. I can't tell you how many times I've actually prayed that prayer. God, if, if you don't go with me, if I don't have a sense of your presence, don't even bother. I don't even like to leave my house in the morning. I'm really praying this into my heart. God, if I need you today, and if you don't go with me, don't send me. In fact, in my 42 years of life, here's what I've come to know one thing. <laughs> I've learned this, that my life can be in the pit. It can be in complete shadows. I can even be walking through the valley of the shadow, but if I know that God is with me, I can still say, it is well. It's well. And in my weakness and insecurity and fragility and vulnerability and all those things, if I know he's with me, I can still enter my world in strength. Strength. And on the flip side, everything can be going well. I mean, my life can be almost perfect. I can feel like I'm at the top. But if I don't sense he's with me, I don't care where I am, how good it is, I enter my world in weakness. Weakness. And so this really raises the question, at least for me, how is it that we can find God? I mean, where is the staircase? Where's the door? How do we get God? How do we get his presence? How do we get his blessing in our lives? 
Isn't that the question? Don't you want to know that right now? Because if you don't, let's just go Father's Day right now. <laughs> if you do, here's where we get off track. At least I do. I have a very religious heart. And what I mean by that is I play this game with God. All right, God, I, I need you. I desperately need you. So to get you, God, I'm going to do this, 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 and this. And I'm going to start performing for you. And I'm going to start dressing up for you. And I'm going to produce a righteousness for you that I'm going to give to you. And now you're going to bless me. And I'm going to encounter you. And that's why so many of us are like Jacob. We, we go through our life trying to control God and manipulate God and leverage God you see me, God? But see, this is what the life of Jacob teaches us. At least it teaches me. It has absolutely nothing to do with me. Because look who gets the blessing. Is this a guy who's on top of the world? Is, is this a guy going for him? No, I'll tell you who gets the blessing. It's a homeless man. It's a man whose life is falling apart. It's a guy who's at the very bottom. He doesn't have a penny to his name. He's in his darkest hour, in the darkest place. And I don't know about you, but I love this about God. Because he's close to the brokenhearted, and he saves those who are crushed in spirit. Can I push this further with Jacob? What's Jacob doing? He's not talking to God. He's not seeking God. He's not praying. He's not fasting. He's sleeping. He's sleeping. I mean... I know that there are these verses that when we draw near to God, God's going to draw near to us. And, and if we humble ourselves and seek his face, that, that God then will turn towards us and forgive us and heal our land. But be careful that you don't use those kind of verses now to control and to manipulate God. When all of a sudden the whole thing gets turned around and all of a sudden I'm God, he's serving me because I'm doing this, this, and this. I'm going to push this even further. Who gets the blessing? Who gets the angels? Who gets heaven breaking into their lives? Who? Who is this guy? Esau's right. In the previous chapter, Esau just nails it. My brother is Jacob. He's a trickster. He's a liar. He's a deceiver. That's who gets it. Not just a guy who's broken. Not just a guy who's needy. Not just a guy who's desperate. A dirty, rotten sinner. He gets God. God comes to him. 
Now, I'm going to tell you something. When you really understand this, this is scandalous. It's offensive to religious hearts. Because our hearts so in our pride and our arrogance, we make it all about us. And if I do this and produce this, God will do this, this, and this. That's not God. Is. You know, when we were doing Romans 6, 7, and 8, someone said, let's just keep going. Let's go to Romans 9. Well, here's the cool thing. We've been doing Romans 9. I just taught you Romans 9 from the Old Testament. Read Romans 9 this week, but I'll just whet your appetite. Romans 9. Drink this in. This is how God works. God says, I will have mercy on whom I'll have mercy. And I will have compassion on whom I have compassion. And here's the key verse. It does not, therefore, depend on human desire or human effort, but on God's mercy. And so even as we are in 24-7, 40 days of prayer, let's be careful that we're not entering this season of prayer with this idea, okay, God, if we pray for 40 days, 27, you got to move. we got to encounter you. you got to let all heaven break in. Uh-uh, God doesn't work that way. He's God. And he chooses who he chooses. And it's all grace. It's scandalous grace. You know how scandalous it is? I say this with my heart. He chose me. He chose me. And here's what Jacob's going to learn. Jacob's going to learn this, and you and I are going to learn the same thing, that when, when, when God chooses us, when he chooses to break into our lives, when he chooses to shower us in his grace when he chooses to bless us he never does that without also the plan to, to, to transform us because the blessing of God is the nation of God that God is going to work in us and through us and so what's going to happen in Jacob's life and we're going to find this out when we continue on is that for 20 long years Jacob's going to win by losing and let me just say something here did you hear that? Jacob's going to win by losing. All his life, up until this point, he's bought into how we think. You win by winning. You win by being first. You win by being the best. You win by marketing yourself and leveraging yourself. But let me tell you something, now with God. With God, you actually win by losing, and you lose by winning. And the first shall be last, and the last will be first. And you go up by going down, and you go down by going up. And you become great by becoming small, and you become small by becoming great. And you become strong by becoming weak, and you become weak by... That's God's way. And Jacob is going to have to learn this the hard way. He's going to learn that you win by losing. And he's, in the next 20 years, he's going to be utterly defeated. It's going to start right here with the sun setting on his life. And it's going to end 20 years later, where it culminates in this great wrestling match he has with the Lord, where he is finally defeated. 
And in essence, he finally says, I give up. I surrender. And you know what the next verse is? And the sun rose on his life. His darkness is turning into light. And here's what I want us to know, and we're going to see it, that through this long, hard, 20-year struggle, Jacob is going to come to experience heaven. Not after the 20-year struggle, through the struggle, through losing everything, through going down, through hitting rock bottom, he's going to experience God in that 20-year struggle. The 23rd Psalm is going to be at the heart of his experience. God is my shepherd. God leads me. God guides me. God restores my soul. He's going to experience Isaiah 43. Now this is what the Lord says. He who created you, O Jacob, he who formed you, O Israel, fear not, for I have redeemed you. I have called you by name. You are mine. And Jacob, when you pass through the waters, I'll be with you. And when you pass through the rivers, they will not sweep over you. And when you pass through the fire, it will not burn you. The flame will not slight you ablaze. For I am the Lord, your God. And you are precious and honored in my sight. And I love you. Is that exploding in you right now? Is it? This is where we meet him. This is where we find him. This is where he finds us. Not on the mountaintop. Not when you have full control of your life and you're living this good, comfortable life. Not going to find him there. You're going to find him in the valley when your life is hurt and you're desperate. He's just going to be there waiting for you. I want to end with this, the staircase. Because that staircase is not only a powerful picture to Jacob, but it should be a powerful picture to us. Because that staircase is not a staircase to God. That is a staircase from God. God isn't at the top of this staircase kind of saying, all right, Jacob, here I am. Come on, dude. You can make it. Come on, strive a little harder, work a little harder. Get a little better. Come on. I'm up here. Let's go. Uh-uh. God is the one who descends the staircase. Because Jacob cannot reach God. God must reach to him. And that applies to you and I as well. In fact, all the religions of the world are premised on this, that we're the ones who have to ascend to God. We're the ones who have to climb the steps. We're the ones who have to work our way to God. Somehow we got to just pretend our way or manipulate our way or fake it till we make it because at the end we all know we can't do it. Here's what the Bible teaches right early in the game. Babel will never work. It won't. In fact, there's humor in that story because God literally has to come down and it's like, where is this thing? I can't see that. Oh, there it is. 
chance. So what does work? Where is Hamach home? Where is the place where we can find God? Where heaven breaks in? Where is Bethel, the house of God? You know, for the Jewish people, Hamachom will become Mount Moriah. Of course it's Mount Moriah in their minds. It's Temple Mount. It's a place where God's house will be built. And, but they, they don't do that just because of the logic of it. For them, it's because of what they read in Genesis 22, where God sends Abraham to offer his son Isaac up as a sacrifice to Mount Moriah. But listen to how the text reads. And Abraham rose up early in the morning, saddled his donkey, took two of his young men with him, Isaac his son. They broke the wood for the burnt offering. They rose up and they went to the place, Hamahom, of which God had told him. And on the third day, Abraham lifted up his eyes and he saw the place, Hamahom, from afar. And they came to the place, Hamahom, which God had told him. And Abraham built an altar there. And he bound his son. And he laid his son on the altar at Hamahom. And later Abraham says about this place. It says he called Hamahom, the place, Jehovah-Jireh. Because as it is said to this day, on this mount, he will provide the lamb. And he did. And what a lamb he provided. And see, for much of the biblical story, then God's people, they're going to come to the place and they're going to ascend the house of God and their prayers are going to go up and their sacrifices are going to go up and God's going to come down. His presence is going to come down. His glory is going to come down. But here's the deal. In all of that, they could still only get close. They could never get all the way back in. And so while this is a fulfillment of Jacob's dream, it's still, it's just a hint. It's a wedding of, of the appetite of this great feast that is to come. And then you get to the Gospels in John chapter 1, and there's this guy named Nathaniel who's described as what? As a true Jacobite. But no guile, no deceit. And his friend says, I want to tell you, I found Messiah. He brings him to Messiah. He brings him to Jesus. And, and, and Jesus says, you know what, Nathaniel? I saw you, what you were doing under the fig tree. I don't know what Nathaniel was doing, but it was so wow that Nathaniel says, this is it. And then Jesus kind of, I think, just smiles and says, boy, if you're impressed with this, he says, you're going to see the angels ascending and descending on the Son of Man and the gate of heaven opened up. Hamachom is Christ. Do you know him? I don't mean you don't know about him, know all the stories about him. Do you personally know him? Have you encountered him? Have, have you collided with him? Has your life collided with his life and his life with your life? All you need to do is be a Jacob. I'm a liar and a cheat. My life is at the bottom. 
just rest yourself and your life and your head and your heart on this rock, on this stone. Some of you could do that today. And some of you could encounter for the first time. And there are some dads here that could have the best Father's Day they've ever had. You can never climb to him. He must climb to you. And you know what? He's the steps. He lived the life that you and I are supposed to live. He died the death that you and I deserve to die. He suffered the hell that you and I deserve to suffer so we could get heaven. And all hell can be breaking loose in your life right now. But if you would just, as a Jacob, rest your life and your head and your heart on the rock, all heaven will break loose. Let's pray. God, I just pray that you would come down and you would break in to those hearts who still don't know you and that people today could encounter you, Christ, Hamachom, the way, the truth, and the life, the gate of God today. In Jesus' name.